1: Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, May 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Standard & Poor's has changed Mississippi's credit rating from stable to negative. Hear reactions from Mississippi Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves and State Treasurer Lynn Fitch.
2: That's very alarming because that could become an impediment for how we borrow in the future, and does it cost more money as we move forward?
1: Find out why the state's Black Caucus is skipping a summer conference and what it could mean. And in our book club, Pulitzer Prize winner and Mississippi native Richard Ford remembers his parents and their love for each other. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's credit outlook is on the decline based on Standard & Poor's revised downgrade from stable to negative. The financial services company's report was issued Tuesday. It assesses the credit ratings for the debt of public and private companies and governmental entities. The company rates borrowers on a scale from AAA to D, Mississippi's rating is AA, but the outlook is now negative. State Treasurer Lynn Fitch caused the change alarming. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier what's happening with the state's credit rating.
2: It's sort of an announce to your personal credit score. So if you're an individual and you look at your credit score, that depends on whether you can buy a house, what your interest rate might be, if you're getting a better credit score, have you worked on your own budgeting. So that's the same for the state. So historically, we have a double A, which has been very good. The ultimate is a triple A, which I'd love for us to have. Um, But as a double A, we have better borrowing capacity. We get better interest rates for people that purchase our bonds. Uh, So we want to have that good credit score for the state. So when S&P gave us a negative outlook, um, that's very alarming because that could become an impediment for how we borrow in the future. And does it cost more money as we move forward.
3: What does it mean right now with the state of the state having made uh, cuts and uh, struggling to keep revenues up to try and keep services going?
2: S&P looked at all the things that have happened in the last several months, uh, still gave us a negative outlook. They could have downgraded us completely, which would have been much more critical and, and just heartening on how we would move forward, because that would have been a bigger challenge to us. But thank goodness they kept us uh, at a negative outlook. Their model actually showed that we should be downgraded. But here's what helped us in that regard. They looked at all the cuts that the governor made. Uh, the governor is very good about being very proactive and, and keeping it all intact. And so by those cuts, they allowed us to only be uh, put at a negative outlook.
3: So in talking about the s and report, you said that some of the things that it cited was weakness in revenue trends.
2: Absolutely. And if you look at our state, our economy is very sluggish. We're behind the national average. We're stagnant in our growth population. In fact, we've actually lost population in the state of Mississippi. Um, and if you lose people, you lose revenue. Um, so if you begin to look at all the factors that S&P took into account, that all builds into the whole, our workforce. Uh, the jobs. How are we going to bring in people? How are we going to grow our businesses if we don't have the right factors on the table for the the businesses? And so that's a problem. And they looked at that and said, there's some problems here in the sense that you still have low education attainment. You're still number one in poverty across the country. You, you lead in the number of federal aid that you get from the, the federal government. These are big factors that we've got to begin to think about strategically how we can change the financial culture of the state. Uh, certainly right now, the most important thing are jobs. And are we preparing our young people for the future? Do we have them ready to be? The next workforce, um, and so apparently we've got some some changes we need to implement there for the positive. Now we've got a great group of young people that will be wonderful uh, in the next step in our um, future. but can we keep them here? So all of that when it's reviewed by s and P and the other credit rating agencies, they're going to look and see how are you um, you know moving along? Have you changed this denominator? Um, Certainly our budgeting um, is going to be important. They're looking at that. They saw those cuts. They see some revenue streams that have faded. Uh, They see some new revenue streams that maybe should be brought on board. And I think it's going to be important that the legislature take a hard look at those.
3: So in your estimation, have the tax cuts hurt the state's rating?
2: Well, I think they looked at that as one of the factors. There's not a quick fix. How do we change? How do we work collaboratively to make a difference? And that's where it's going to be the game changer where we become a unified front and we become solution driven. And I think as rating agencies see this making solutions happen, looking for performance, making action come into place, that's going to be the game changer for us.
3: What does this mean for Mississippians?
2: Why should they care? Well, ultimately, they should care because they're responsible. We ask Mississippians to be the taxpayers, to be responsible for what we put on the credit card. So we've got $4 billion on our credit card right now. Um, and here's the, another very alarming statistic. In our state budget, the third largest item in the budget is debt service. So if you think about that, if we didn't have such a big debt service payment every year, you could use that for a lot of projects, economy growth, education, whatever the case might be. But that's a lot of money for a very small state to be paying on debt service.
3: So looking at everything that you've discussed,
2: a turnaround period, what is realistic? We've got to be in this for the long haul, and we just need to be making some very strategic, hard choices as we move forward and knowing that we're spending and we're being very proactive uh, with the taxpayers' dollars. This is truly going to affect us in the long run. Uh, what we want to do is not get to complete downgrade. We want to change what they've just um, delineate is our, the problem areas. Could that happen as soon as next year if they see a concerted effort? Absolutely. It absolutely could happen. And I think we should all work together to see that that, that comes about and we get that removed for um, our credit rating.
3: Well, thank you. We appreciate you taking the time to speak to us.
2: Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate it.
1: State Treasurer Lynn Fitch with our Desiree Frazier. Attorney General Jim Hood says the state has handled borrowing responsibly.
4: You know, we're borrowed. We've gone out and borrowed money like it was a credit card. We've doubled how much that we owe in the past uh, five years, and we borrowed money to pay for things like shrubs in some cities, or paying for uh, overtime. I know, I think the city of Jackson had been part of a bond bills for overtime. That's not what bonding authority is for building buildings for universities in the state. And you know, we have just not been running the state like a business. It's not a business to start with, but certainly. You know, you pay your bills if you're going to run a business.
1: Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he sees growth in state revenues.
5: They changed our outlook. They maintained our AA credit rating. um, And if you read the press release, they they affirmed uh, the AA credit rating. They did change the outlook from neutral uh, to negative due in large part to the fact that our economy is not uh, rebounding as fast as we would like for it to. And so we've got more work to do there. I think if you look at what's happened with Revenue collections in March and April were beginning to see a rebound in both individual income tax receipts as well as sales tax receipts, uh, which if they continue, and of course two months is not a trend. But if they do continue, I think we're going we're to continue to see positive economic growth and positive revenue growth accordingly.
3: In their review, talked about unemployment, uh, poor education attainment, uh, a downgrade in the population. How are you going to turn these things around?
5: Well, they certainly talk about education attainment level, and that's something that I think is critically important. If we're going to see long-term economic growth and prosperity in Mississippi, we must improve the educational attainment level of our citizens. That's the reason we've done things... Uh, over the last five years to uh, ensure that we have more school choice, more options for kids. Because many of the kids that are that are struggling uh, are in areas where their public school system is just not not giving them the kind of opportunities for success that they need. And so we're giving uh, those kids an, an opportunity. We've got a lot of great school districts across Mississippi. We've got a lot of great teachers across Mississippi. We've got to continue to see improvement. One of the things that we've seen in the last five years is our graduation rate has increased from 70.5% to 80.8%. Um, in five years. That's a tremendous improvement. Uh, We're almost on top of the national average in terms of graduation rates. We've got to continue to uh, see improvement, but that's a, that's a major plus.
3: PERS, underfunded. They also talked about the tax cuts and revenue to replace them not being in place. Yeah, well,
5: there's no doubt that um, the many of the rating agencies do not like the fact that we're willing to let people keep more of their income. Uh, it's something that I think is extremely important to put more money back in people's pockets. Um, government uh, has grown considerably uh, really for many, many years in Mississippi, and this is a way for us to curtail the growth of government. Uh, It's also a way for us to see uh, better economic growth because if if, um, institutions and individuals have more money in their pocket, they're going to go out and spend it, uh, which is going to turn over in our state's economy. We think that's a very good thing long term.
3: What do you think it's going to take to turn this around quick so you can get that outlook improved?
5: Well, I think you're going to continue to see uh, improvements. I think as we uh, see revenue enhancements, revenue improvements uh, in individual income tax and sales taxes, uh, we're going to see uh, a better financial position for the state. It's, it's certainly begun, uh, and we think it's going to continue to. The, 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 one of the challenges and, quite frankly, one of the misnomers of most of the reporting that has situated in the last year in Mississippi is that we're, by some uh, happenstance, we're actually collecting less revenue. That's just fundamentally inaccurate. This year we have grown revenue. Uh, relative to the first uh, eight month, 10 months of, of last fiscal year. It's just we hadn't grown as quickly as the revenue estimating group said we were going to grow. And so uh, we're going to continue to see revenue growth, we believe, and, um, and we're going to continue to see improving financial conditions. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Appreciate it.
1: Lieutenant Governor Reeves tells MP, uh, excuse me, in other news, Lieutenant Governor Reeves says an upcoming special session should be completed quickly. He blames fellow Republicans in the House for the extra expense to taxpayers. Both House and Senate committees had agreed to budgets for the Department of Transportation and the Attorney General, but some House members later voted against the MDOT bill in protest over the lack of an infrastructure improvement spending. Lieutenant Governor Reeves.
5: We're certainly having conversations with uh, people across state government. Uh, What I would like to see is us come in and and approve uh, the budgets for MDOT and the attorney general that were agreed to during the legislative session by the conferees in the House of Representatives. They they decided that they did not, uh, after they signed the conference reports, that they would not pass them on the floor of the House. That was their prerogative for whatever reason. It's going to cost taxpayers money because of that very poor decision that they made. Uh, But we ought to come in, we ought to pass these three or four appropriation bills, and we ought to save taxpayers as much money as possible.
1: A spokesperson for Speaker Gunn says until the special session is officially called, Gunn will not issue an official statement. Coming up, some Mississippi lawmakers do not plan to attend a regional legislative meeting on the Gulf Coast in protest of the Mississippi state flag. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Legislative Black Caucus plans to take unified action in protest of the Mississippi state flag and what they say it represents. They say they're not attending the Southern Legislative Conference on the Gulf Coast later this year. Republican House Speaker Philip Gunn is chairman of the conference this year. Some fear the boycott will reflect negatively on Gunn, who has previously come out in support of changing the flag. Democratic Representative Robert Johnson of Natchez is a member of the caucus. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby he has no issues with Speaker Gunn.
4: Yes, I am going to be a part of the protest, but I I would like to preface any stance we take by saying, look, it is not geared toward anything to to deal with uh, Speaker Gunn, who is going to be the newly elected chairman of SLC. He's the only state uh, leader who has said outright that he thinks that we need to change the flag. Given that, uh, the thing that concerns everybody is that we haven't made any progress into doing something to move that forward. So as legislators, this was an opportunity to make a statement about that issue. Uh, we filed legislation. None of it ever comes out of committee. I filed it. Some other people have filed it. And so as legislators, this is our platform to say it's time for a change.
0: When you look at the flag, what do you see?
4: Well, I'm 58 years old, so I, I grew up, lived, and, and worked in the Civil Rights Movement. As a child, I carried ticket signs, and I watched it. I remember when I would go to the dentist, I, there was a white side and a colored side. Uh, I also remember being a child, going to Christmas parades, and watching the Ku Klux Klan on their horses be a part of our Natchez Christmas Parade and come down there with, with uh, Confederate flags. My best friend growing up, Wallace Jackson's father, was killed by a car bomb, and the people who celebrated that and the people who took credit for it waved the Confederate flag. So that's what it means to me. It's uh, It means uh, violence, it means death, it means discrimination it means persecution. And so it's just a flag that should not represent
0: this state. You mentioned Speaker Gunn. Do you see this as a possible opportunity to stand with him?
4: Well, that was my proposal. Not, not necessarily to stand with him, but to invite him, since he had raised his issue a couple of years ago, to create a platform and maybe a discussion in a forum at this conference. But the caucus decided that, that there had been no movement, that this is the direction they wanted to go. And the Speaker hadn't hadn't been able to, uh, or hadn't found the right time to deal with this issue at the legislature. So it was not time to incorporate him into the decision.
0: This is the Southern Legislative Conference held in Biloxi. Many of the other Southern states have started to move away from the Confederate emblem. Wouldn't that be the perfect arena for the dialogue to begin? Is yes. this something that they could be on the agenda, whether it's during this conference or in future conferences? Yes.
4: Myself and some other people made that recommendation. But uh, I thought it a perfect opportunity to, to raise this issue, have other people weigh in how it negatively reflects on the state of Mississippi and how they see see us as members of this country and how other states look at us and how it affects us. And then take it farther if it was necessary to take it from there. I would hope that this is just the beginning of many serious stances that we take.
0: You raise the question, how far is the Black Caucus willing to go on this issue? What's the next step if there is no movement on this in your mind?
4: I don't think we pushed hard enough. We're going to continue to introduce legislation, but we also can do more in terms of going out and uh, talking to our corporate partners about putting pressure on uh, state leaders and how important it is to the economy of the state of Mississippi. And we should ask other conferences to consider sending a message, either by boycott or some other way, uh, in terms of how how it can affect the economy of the state of Mississippi if people want to take a stance. But we should look at this as a starting point and become leaders on this issue, and we shouldn't stop
0: with the Southern Legislative Conference. How realistic is it to think that the state flag will change, seeing that there has been no legislative movement, as well as the voters in Mississippi decided to keep the flag the way it is back in 2001?
4: Well, the demographics in the state of Mississippi are changing. The numbers are changing. The flag will change. It's a question of how soon. The question is uh, how do I think it'll, it'll happen within the next year or two years? Uh, I don't know. This is just the beginning of the push. But I think uh, we'll we'll see in the next election cycle how things change in the legislature. Uh, I think that will be an indication as to whether or not uh, we can get a, a stronger push on this issue.
0: What's your take on the city that is hosting this conference, the city of Biloxi, deciding to take down the flag?
4: Again, I stand with the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus on their position. But I think having people understand what our position is and having discussions that push this issue along. You know, the state hadn't changed, but if more and more cities are coming around, all our major universities, all our universities have have decided to stop flying the state flag. And cities who are interested in attracting tourists and being a part of a national and international community are stopping flying the state flag.
0: Representative Robert Johnson, a Democrat from Natchez, thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. Thank you, Mark.
1: In a statement, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn has said, SLC is a well-respected organization hosting their annual event on the Mississippi Gulf Coast to showcase the positives of Mississippi. It brings a great amount of economic benefit to the state, attracting nearly 1,000 people. This event is a good opportunity to stand with me, someone who has not wavered in my support of changing the flag to promote all that is good about our great state. The SLC will be held in July. Coming up, award-winning storyteller Richard Ford tells us about his parents inspired his how his parents inspired his new book Between Them. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now with any podcast app. You can search, subscribe and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi native Richard Ford won the Pulitzer Prize in 1995 for his book Independence Day and is a New York Times best-selling author. The Jackson-born writer was raised in and between Jackson and Little Rock, Arkansas as the only child of his parents Edna and Parker. He describes his parents as living alone together. He ponders the intricacies of their lives and the bond of their marriage in his memoir Between Them, Remembering My Parents. He tells us how he thought of them.
6: I always thought of them as two adults that I happened to live with. So the fact that they were my parents, which was great, was never obscured by the fact that they treated me as their child. There was just something about being the child of older parents, which I was, and both that and the fact that they were so devoted to each other that always, I guess you'd say, foregrounded the notion that they were there first and their love and their marriage and their history was Paramount to mine.
1: When did you begin to ruminate on their life despite you?
6: Well, probably from my first rumination, just because I was alone a lot when I was a little boy. And I don't mean to say I was alone in an inappropriate amount of time, but I was with my mother a lot, and I was a very volatile child, and my mother was a very volatile adult. So we, we had to find some quiet space around each other to occupy and I'm fairly certain I must have thought about them quite a lot right from the get-go but as far as writing about either of my parents it it was in my mother's case because I wrote about her first it was her death that in a way dislodged the impulse to write about her and then all of the many years later that I wrote about my father once again it was his death that stayed vivid in my mind And, and in a way I wrote the two essays to overcome that impulse by which death was the thing I remembered most vividly. I, I wanted to make death be the entree, in a sense, into a more vivid and useful appreciation of their lives.
1: Things that you saw as a child, did you see them differently when you were an adult?
6: No. Uh, although I saw things, I, I, I saw things about them that I hadn't put together before. You know, Ruskin has this line in which he says, "Composition is the arrangement of unequal things," and in an attempt to compose a. a a memoir about both of my parents, I, uh, through the agency of putting together things that hadn't been together, found sort of intellectual and and, and emotional ligatures between those unequal things that let me know things about my parents that that I hadn't known quite as vividly or could articulate. One of them being that I was stirred in the little troika that we were as a family. My concerns and considerations were, as I said before, less paramount. And I liked that. I mean, that was the discovery that I had made. The, the fact that I was third, I, I thought that was pretty cool, really. <laughs> and, and, and it made me respect their love for each other all the more without in any way subordinating uh, their lo- love for me.
1: You said there was a volatility in your mother and in you. <laughs> Put it mildly. <laughs> well, what about after your father died? You said you were 16 yeah. and it was just your mother and you. Was it back to having a volatile relationship?
6: Yes, it was, but with but, but a whole new agenda. My, my mother told me after my father died, she said, Richard, she said, now look, I, I just am not going to be able to take care of you the way I have taken care of you. You're going to have to be more independent of me. And that, was, for, for, for me, was such a an empathy-inspiring admission on my mother's part that, that while both of our characters or in personalities, but all being what they were. I had both sympathy for my mother and I had empathy for her.
4: What would
1: you like readers to take away from this? What would you like them to glean from your parents and their relationship?
6: Well, mostly, Karen, what I'd like them to do is read to the read to the end of the book. And if they read to the end of the book, they can take any damn thing they want to. And I, I don't know that there's any way that's faithful to my book that I could boil all of these words down to a pithy little lesson, but because you ask, I'll try. Uh, one would be, maybe this is the only important one, that to, to look back at your parents' lives is to realize that you're looking at the life of two people who were two people before they were your parents, and that they go on being two people after they are your parents, and so they, they think that they're just living their life, not that their life is then dedicated entirely and subordinated to your little life. And the other, I suppose, is what I said before, is that, is that uh, I was third. And being third was actually quite a cozy place to be. I could look at my parents, not at, not necessarily as models, but they became models in a way because they loved each other so much. Uh, their love preceded their loving me. And I think after my father died, her love for him went on in a way that, that I couldn't share and that that was quite all right.
1: Is there any similarity, or did you use your own marital relationship to compare against your parents' relationship?
6: Probably in some subliminal way. I married forever, that's for sure. We don't have children, Christina, and I don't have children. I, I think that the way that I love my wife, we've been married almost 50 years now, is the profoundest feeling that I have
1: Pulitzer Prize-winning and best-selling author Richard Ford is the author of Between Them, Remembering My Parents. Thank you, Richard.
6: It's been a pleasure, Karen. Thank you.
1: Ford will be at Lemuria in Jackson next Tuesday, May 9th, for a signing and reading starting at 5 p.m. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long at 9 o'clock, Creature Comforts at 10 o'clock, Season Pass, 11 o'clock, Southern Remedy, and listen tomorrow at 8.30 for Mississippi Edition here on MPB Think Radio.